0: Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope that this message encourages you, I hope that it inspires you, and I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. I want to remind you that we are in the middle of our year in the story, which is really this deep dive into God's great story and our place in it. If you'd like more information about that or more information about our community here at Restore, you can get that on our website at restoreaustin.org. We'd really love to see you soon. Thanks for listening. Good morning. 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 My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I typically work in the congregational care, so I'm here um, to speak to you this morning about our topic on um, the book of Ephesians. I'm going to try not to cry through this. I don't know why this happens every time I get up to speak. It's uh, it's just amazing. I don't know. If you look at the communion table, there's a Bible on the communion table. I I received that Bible when I was stationed in Izmir, Turkey. Izmir, Turkey is present-day Ephesus. I remember walking into a a Turkish resale shop and the Turkish vendor said, hey, are you an American? I said, yes, I am an American. He says, I have something for you. And he said, I want to give you this Bible. Actually, he sold it to me, but in his language, (laughs) he gave it to us. (laughs) The Bible was printed about 1880 it was a rare jewel to find that Bible and so I want to read to you the book of Ephesians I'll be covering verses 11 through 22 and I just want you to close your eyes and just let this these scriptures soak into your heart so that we can unpack them Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you at one time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having it put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the house, God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Open your eyes, please. Now, I want you to imagine a place where people are free to be themselves, a place where people are loved not for what they can do, but who they are, a place where unity is more than a buzzword, it's a way of life, a place where differences are not dividers, but multipliers. Imagine and then imagine again. Does a place like this exist? Is it even possible to achieve? Imagine what a place like this would be like, what it would feel like. Imagine going beyond your imagination and making this a reality. Early on in ministry in 1994, I had the opportunity to visit a nursing home and provide ministry to the residents there. We ate meals together, we prayed together, we listened to their stories, and we made ourselves available to them. And there's this one old lady, she says, hey, can you, can you sing me a song? And I I said, what song would you like for me to sing? She said, Can you sing Yes, Jesus Loves Me? And together we sang a song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Yes, Jesus Loves Me. For the Bible tells me so. And it was a tender moment. She put her head in my chest and she grabbed my hands and she rubbed my hands. It was so tender, this old fragile lady. And she whispered in my ear, I just love little N, and called me the N word. And I looked in her eyes, and I said, I love you too. At that moment, I realized that here's a lady that's stuck in a certain time frame probably dementia, maybe Alzheimer's, but she is stuck. Her mind is stuck in a time frame. Fast forward. 20 years, I retired after 27 years of military. Some of my paths in the military, I, I served as a senior enlisted advisor for the United States Army Europe Equal Opportunity Program where I had oversight over the entire European footprint on matters of equal opportunity. So I dealt with racism, sexism, sexual harassment, discrimination, helped write policy, and helped commanders, senior commanders all the way down to the privates understand what diversity is about and how to manage diversity in an organization so it was a it wasn't a real surprise but 20 over 20 years later I moved into an affluent neighborhood in Round Rock Texas when I, when I moved there we had our first ever block party it was a great event I mean there was li- a live band there was music kids were running people were playing it was great and I was talking to one person in the neighborhood and kind of introducing myself, and we're having a good conversation, and one of my neighbors came and interrupted the conversation and and said to the person I was talking to, oh, I see you met my darky neighbor. And the music was loud, so I said, maybe she called me Marky, and my mother who had been dead over 20 years, I said, well, maybe she's trying to take a motherly role and call me Marky, because no one has ever called me that before. But I noticed the reaction to the person that was standing in front of me like, okay. And so we went on and we had fun throughout the event. But then it, that evening and the next day I said, I think she called me turkey. And I would I would wait on my front porch for my neighbor to come out so I can have a conversation. I said, just, I need to have a conversation with her. And so finally, two or three days later, it came out. I said, look, I'm, maybe I'm overthinking this, but the other day at the event, she said, yeah, yeah, we had fun. I said, yeah. I just... I just want to know, did you, did you call me Darkie?" She said, yes. I wanted, my, I wanted her to know that I have a dark neighbor. I said, listen, I don't think she was surprised that I'm black. <laughs> Here's another person stuck in a mindset. I wonder if we ever get stuck in a period of time that keeps us seeing one another through old lenses. What is it that keeps us so comfortable with these lenses? It's like having an outdated eye prescription. Is it politics? Think about our current political climate. Could it be our denial about the issue of race? The Barna Group is a private, nonpartisan, for-profit organization under the umbrella of the Istacar Companies. Located in Ventura, California, the Barna Group has been conducting and analyzing primary research to understand cultural trends related to values, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors since 1984. An overwhelming 98% of pastors believe that churches play an important role in racial reconciliation, yet only half say racial reconciliation is among their church's top 10 priorities. Why is there this disconnect between some pastors and the awareness of the problem and their active, informed participation in the solution? Think about it. Is there hostility between two groups? Look at the numbers. 87% of white Americans believe there is racial tension today. 82% of blacks believe that. When you ask if people of color are being at a social disadvantage, look at these numbers. 78% of Democrats say yes, 62% of white, 84% black. Look at the answers for those who believe reverse racism is a problem. 71% white, 77% Republican, 53% Democrat, 65% all all adults. Addressing this, Brooke Hemphill, who's the vice president of research of the Barna Group, says, Our research confirms that the the fear that the church or the people in it may be part of the problem and the hard work of racial reconciliation. If you're a white, evangelical Republican, you are less likely to think race is a problem. But the more likely to think you are a victim of reverse racism. You are also convinced that people of color are socially disadvantaged, Yes, yet these same groups believe the church plays an important role in reconciliation. This dilemma demonstrates that those supposedly most equipped for reconciliation do not see the need for it. He went on to say many or more uh, more than any other segment of the population. White evangelical Christians demonstrate a blindness to the struggle of their African-American brothers and sisters. He continues. This is a dangerous reality for the modern church. Our churches and ministries are still some of the most ethnically segregated institutions in the country. Jesus and his disciples actively sought to affirm and restore the marginalized and obliterate divisions between groups of people. He said by failing to recognize the disadvantages of people of color, face, and the inherent privileges that come from growing up in a majority culture, he says we perpetuate, we perpetuate the racial divisions, inequalities, and injustices that prevent African-American communities from thriving. What is it? Could it be that we solely identify with labels like conservative or liberal? Is it our religious affiliations? We all have at one time or another gotten trapped into a mindset, and some people, when they're trapped in that mindset, they use disparaging terms that that aim to tear one another's worth. I remember working a case in, as an equal opportunity professional where some of the leaders would not allow the Hispanic soldiers to speak English, I mean, to speak Spanish in their sections, in their duty sections. And, and it was a big problem. And they would say, Master Sergeant Jordan, this is what the regulation says. The regulation says speak English. And, you know, I, I like to read... Sometimes, but I particularly loved Army regulations. And I said, Look at what the regulation says. The regulation says that English is the common language spoken in the military. And therefore, if you are presenting a briefing or if you are in front of a um, formation, English is the common language. It does not mean you cannot speak your native language in any setting that you're in. And then it boiled down to this after we explained the interpretation of the regulation. I just don't like it. What is it that keeps us stuck in these lenses, these old lenses? Think about it. Ask yourself or ask someone this question. If your thoughts of me became a reality, what would happen to me? See, the Gentiles were called uncircumcised as a derogatory term. The Jews identified more with their heritage than they did in their relationship with Yahweh. See, a Jew was identified by the physical seed of Abraham. When the kingdom was split, you had the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and you also had the ten northern tribes. A Jew was a descendant from the tribe of Judah, and Israelite was a descendant from the ten northern tribes. But then these um, this national identity came into understanding through Ezekiel the 37th, and 37th verse and 37 chapter 16 verse where it says, and you son of man take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel his companions and then take another stick and write on it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel his companions. And so this became what's called a national identity. I can imagine the Jerusalem Times that morning, that person must have been thinking and said, the middle wall, the middle wall broken down, we are going to lose our, I- oh, Ephraim, Joseph, Benjamin, get in here! We cannot afford to lose our identity. Think about what happens when identity is lost. Discrimination happens. Ethnocentrism happens where it's our way, it's our thinking, it's our ideology. Sexism happens. Phobias run wild. And this is where racism breeds. It's birth out of having a superior and inferior mindset. Because you know what? It's scary to lose identity. However, I want to ask you one question. Have you found your identity by seeing through your lens only? Paul's letter to the Ephesians identifies some of the struggles that we face today. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember. That formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. See, the physical difference of circumcision between Jews and Gentiles affected every area of their life. It was a great social and spiritually, spiritual boundary that existed between them. He pointed out five things regarding the state of the Gentiles. They were without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers for the co- from the covenant of promise. They had no hope, and they were without God in the world. They were aliens. They were nothing. They were nobodies. I found this reality front and center when I was stationed in Turkey. A friend of mine traveling and had an accident. His vehicle was totaled. He was not at fault. The Turkish driver was at fault, and when the Turkish police came, they said, if you hadn't been in this country, it wouldn't have happened. No justice for him. Car totaled, but if you hadn't been in this country, this wouldn't have happened. He says, but they were Gentiles in the flesh, and the circumcision was an act that was performed in the flesh. So this circumcision that Paul is talking about, it was an act that was performed in the flesh. But then also he says, you Gentiles are in the flesh. So what is the situation we're looking at? We're looking at a fleshly problem. See, it's not just a skin problem. It is a sin problem. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So that in himself he might take the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. He put to death the enmity, the hatred between these two groups, the hatred between Jews and Gentiles, the hatred between different ethnicities. He put to death this. And why, why, why do we still experience such hatred since this wall has been broken down? I believe it's because we view our relationships from a fleshly perspective. We allow our human nature to get in the way of God's will. Christ. The scriptures in Ephesians says, so that in himself, Christ in his flesh, not the flesh of circumcision, not the flesh of being a Gentile, Christ in his flesh took on all of this enmity, all of this hatred, and nailed it to the cross so that we can work together, so we can love together, so that we can be together, so we can look at one another in the eyes and say, I don't care where you're from, I love you because Christ has brought us together. See, it is once and done. It is once and done, but it does not always show up that way in our heart. It says, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He destroyed the wall with his blood. The act of him giving his life destroyed the wall. He abolished his flesh and his enmity in himself. In himself, not the law. Not national identity, not ordinances, nothing else. Jesus is the source of restored relationships. And however, we got to understand for this wall that he broke down, it will not be legislated to stand. It cannot be debated to stand. There is no peace treaty. He destroyed it all, Jesus Christ in his blood. And it relates to a well-being. He destroyed this. So the Hebrew term, For peace is shalom. He became our peace. He is our peace. And so the Hebrew term for peace is shalom. And it's more than just an absence of hostility. It relates to a well-being at every level. And so this peace in the Pauline context has the double meaning. And I want you to look at it this way. It was a twofold. Uniting sinners to God. In canceling the enmity set up by sin. So the establishment of peace between Gentile and Jewish believers was horizontal, and the peace between God and the people was vertical. We in the church, we keep the horizontal relationship, I'm sorry, the vertical relationship we got that down We love God. I mean, we sing the songs. We love it. But now, the horizontal, it becomes a problem. So we have to, in order to love God effectively, we need to love one another even more effectively. This hostility, I tell you, is real. I learned of this hostility front and center when I was pastoring in a deployed environment. Chaplain had asked me to lead this particular congregation, and I was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. It was great. Our service was growing. We were the largest um, service in the deployment. We had people of all faiths, all colors, all ethnicities. It was a movement of God like you never seen before. And I had the same chaplain come to me and say, Mark, you're deceiving the people. Immediately, I said, man, I just thought, what are you talking about? I was looking at my notes, I mean, my lessons that we talked about. He says, no, look at this right here. And it was the name of our service that we used for advertising. We called it the worship service. He said, this is not a worship service. You're black. This is a gospel service. Gospel in the military means African-Americans, just so you know. Any military installation you go to, when you see gospel service, it's typically a predominantly African-American service. He says, you're black. Now, let me pause for a second. Have you noticed a lot of people tell me I'm black? (laughs) He says, you're black, and this is a gospel service, and you will change the name. And I said, Chaplain, I'm not changing the name. I am not changing the name. We're going to keep it as worship service. And you deal with this congregation of losing all these people. The first accomplishment is that Christ made both groups one. Both Jews and Gentiles, the organization of Judaism and of the Gentile, those two worlds will no longer stand apart. Divisions and distinctions are no longer exist as far as standing of any before God is concerned. God has made a way for the divided to become one. This same idea is expressed in Galatians 3 and 28 where he says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Christ is the subject of reconciliation, and reconciliation must be viewed from the perspective of Christ, and it must be seen as a divine initiative. All are one in Christ through his death. Jesus actually brought about the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile and forever make an allowance for an end to national distinctions, preferential treatment, and racial bigotry, which have no place in his church. Reconciliation has the meaning of to bring together again. It's more than just going along to get along. It is the removal of enmity. Paul is talking about more than just reconciling people to get along. It's an act of faith. That's why he says in verse 8 of this same chapter, "'For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God.'" Paul now brings the reality of what every Christian should know to be true. Through him, we both have access. If we want to love one another, if we want to have relationship with one another, it is an act of faith to come and love one another. He says, for through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. He goes on to say in verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The house imagery in verse 21 is likened to Christians being living stones, built into the framework which turns, which in turn rests upon the foundation, which is Christ. It is a temple made without hands. First Corinthians 3. And 16 says it all. He says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? See, this isn't like before in verse 11 where he mentions circumcision as an act that was performed by hands. He says, remember in verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, This is not a human thing. This is not a fleshly thing. This is a spiritual thing, what Christ did, which is bringing all groups together, and it is brought together by the cross. And so I want you to understand that a spiritual body of men and women in whom God's spirit dwells. The Jewish community looked forward to a new temple. That hope was fulfilled in Christ and his church, in which God now finds his habitation. Not in a material shrine, But in the lives of his consecrated people, God lives and shows himself to our world. This is why worship is so valuable. This is where the church has the opportunity to really shine as a household of faith. What I want you to understand is the church is best positioned to demonstrate reconciliation. Why? Because we ourselves have been reconciled. I remember a few months ago, my brother was, um, I have two brothers that live in Memphis, One was in ICU, and my other brother called and said, Mark, I'm making decisions for Derek and they're life-changing decisions, and I'm scared. I don't know what to do, but Mark, I need you here. I need you here. And it's late. One night I said, Gary, I will tell you what. When I hang up this phone, I'm going to be in Memphis. And that next afternoon... I was there this is the same mentality that we have to have with one another listen I don't care what happened to you I don't care about this I don't care about the, the the way that this happened I want to know are you okay you are my brother I love you there's something wrong there's something that we have to address there's injustice and together we as a family we're going to get through this this is the mentality of the believers this is this should be our mentality as helping one another Distinctions as liberals and conservative, black and white, Caribbean and Latin American, or Asian and Hispanic are realities that are legitimate because because of our diversities and should be celebrated but not used to erect barriers that Jesus died to destroy. Simply put, we need our differences to reflect the glory of God. So I ask you a question. Are you willing today to try a new prescription? Research has shown that being cognizant of our biases leads to change in biased behavior. And I want to tell you, I know that it's not easy. I know that it's not easy. Last year, what, in August of 2017, this is what happened to me. I was on my way to a chaplain event, and I saw this old lady on the ground. She was just like this. And as I passed, it was July or August, and it was was hot. And I said, what is that person doing yoga for in the heat of the day? And I kept going. And some said, Mark, she's not doing yoga. And so I pulled over. Pulled up next to her. I said, ma'am, are you okay? She didn't respond. I hit my 911 button on the car. The 911 operator said, what's the problem? I told her the, what was going on with this lady. She's in the heat of the day. She's on the ground. And she said, can you go and help her? And I, as I got out of the car, someone said, Mark, you a black man in a white neighborhood helping an old white lady. <laughs> this was my mentality. You're a black man in a white neighborhood helping an old white lady. And then I went the wife white parade and said, Sir, can you go and help her? Can you?" And Mark, you're a black man. Can you go and help her, sir? Can you touch? And then finally somebody said, Mark, if you want to help this lady, you've got to put your hands on her. This is what I say to you. If you want to help your brothers and sisters, if you want to help that person that don't look like you, You gotta put your hands on them. You gotta love them. You gotta embrace them. This is how you get involved. This is how you change the lens. God bless you. The idea is something that I thought about. what it would look like if we all did this. It would be an innumerable mass of individuals represented by a myriad of cultures, ancestries, people groups, gifts, talents, and languages, a present and future reality of an assembly that even though are many possess the eternal traits of being one body. This is what it looks like when we are together. Now, during this series, we said that we were in each of our gatherings with a communion and a hymn. And as the band comes up, they will lead us into a hymn, Jesus Paid It All. Now, if you really think about it, the only way that this wall could be destroyed was because Jesus paid it all. The method of communion today is called intinction. It's an act where we will take a piece of bread, which represents Jesus' body, and we will dip it in the cup, which represents his blood. Remember Ephesians 2 and 13 says that, we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for us, then you are free to come up and share communion with your brothers and sisters. Feel free to go back to your seat or pray. I'm sorry. Go back to your seat and pray or pray with someone or you can receive prayer. I will be over on the side along with um, some other folks here that can pray with you. And as you come up, please take the bread, dip it in the cup, and go back through these center aisles. And this will be self-led. I want you to take this time to do that. Lord, we thank you for this day. Help us today to receive your word. Be with us as we, Lord, don't have it all together all the time, but we know that you do. And your spirit brings us together. God, help us to see through a lens that only your blood has cleansed. This is our prayer, in Jesus' name, amen.